tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, here we are again. It's uh, these trying times, but um, we'll try to keep a a stiff upper lip. I always wonder what that was about. Keep a stiff upper lip. I well, maybe if you're British, you it means more to you. I don't know. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit; they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, by that same Spirit, to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And while we got you on the line, Lord, we pray for peace. Amen. All right, let us jump into the biblical pool here. We are reading the book of Jonah. Uh, and and um, again, I said yesterday, and I will say it again, um, there's been so much uh, argument about whether this is history or it's parable. I don't know. And, uh, you know, as I always say, I wasn't there. Um, there definitely was a, a prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, and uh, uh, he lived right about when this book would have said he lived, so there was Jonah, and uh, we have no historical or, or, or archaeological record of, of Nineveh undergoing a conversion, but just because we haven't found it, it's fascinating. Uh, on Kale's show, they were just talking about a, uh, a, a stone inscription about the House of David that all sorts of minimalist archaeologists were saying uh, that uh, well, there was no real House of David. Uh, this was all just mythology. Well, then they found a, uh, a fairly contemporary, uh, contemporary to the time of David, uh, talking about the House of David. And it was way, way in the north of Israel. And uh, uh, it, it kind of proved that, that there was a, a line of Davidic kings that uh, was historically real. So... You turn over a shovel in the Holy Land, and archaeology changes. Uh, there's never, to the best of my knowledge, has never been a discovery made in the Holy Land that has that has contradicted something in the scriptures. Uh, so who knows? My whole point is, and, and I say this about the scriptures in general: the scriptures are not a book; they're a library. 
And in that library, you have different kinds of literature. You have history. You have law. You have parable. You have poetry. Is this history or, or parable? It's immaterial because the Holy Spirit wants to say something to us through this book. And it's a profound, profound book. And we spend so much time arguing about its historicity that we fail to find out what the book is really saying. So we'll do a little bit of that. Um, the story in today's book is that you remember what happened yesterday, that uh, uh, Jonah had been told by the Lord to go to Nineveh, and, and this is, you know, give or take 750 years before Christ. And um, <clears throat> uh that would have been like saying to a rabbi, go to Berlin and, and, and stand on the street corner preaching in 1943 in Nazi Germany. Uh, are you crazy? <laughs> I'll get killed. Um, the Ninevites, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And as I pointed out, Assyrians, um, Jesus said at the preaching of Jonah, uh, the Ninevites repented. And people say, well, that's, see, Jesus didn't know that this was just a myth. Well, it might not have been a myth. And still, Jesus might have been quoting it as literature. But whatever happened, I know Assyrians, and they are devout believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're devout Christians. And they have resisted uh, very anti-Christian enemies surrounding them for uh, a couple thousand years. Uh, I, in my parish at Saint, uh, in Skokie at St. Lambert's, I have all sorts of Assyrian prisoners, delightful people. So the gospel somehow reached Nineveh. Uh, so just put that aside. All right. Yesterday we have Jonah being told, go to Nineveh. He said, Lord, you're nuts. And he went west and Nineveh was east. He tried to get as far away from Nineveh and as far away from God as he could. Just like you and me. When we hear God wanting us to do something clearly and we don't want to do it, we... We, I mean, you know, the, the Pentecostals would say, I rebuke that thought. I, I joke. Moving along. Uh, so the, this is why the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The opening line of chapter 3, set out for the great city of Nineveh. God doesn't let go of it. If God wants, wants to do something, he's not going to let go of it. Uh, so Jonah began his journey, and it was a huge city, and the people of Nineveh, uh, believed uh, uh, God, and they proclaimed a fast, all of them great and small, put on sackcloth. And those are kind of interesting words. Uh, believe in Hebrew is uh, amunah. It's related to our word amen, and it has to do with this is the truth. And it's a little different than the Greek word believe. When we're told in, in the New Testament to believe, we're told to believe in in Greek. Well, you can believe in any language you want, but the word appears in, in Greek. And exclusively, that word means what we mean by trust, whereas the word believe uh, in Hebrew can mean lots of things. It's, it's, this, these are facts. This is true. And it can mean to trust. So it has... It has uh, Many meanings, as I've often shared, Hebrew is a rather vocabulary poor language. Uh, so one word has to do what we would think of as a lot of different jobs. But uh, amen and the word for believe are, are essentially the same word in Hebrew. But moving on. And interesting, the word for sackcloth means uh, the kind of cloth that you make a bag out of. <laughs> so it's literally sackcloth. So 
<laughs> the, 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 the voice I just mentioned, the NPR tote bag, is that, is that sackcloth also? No. I don't know. I don't know. Moving along. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. So um, they repented. And this will this keep this in mind because as the story develops, this this little section will be very important. But let us go to the part of the the text today that we're all kind of interested in, Luke the tenth chapter, the thirty eighth to the forty second verse. This is a wonderful passage. Jesus entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary. Of course, they don't mention it, but they had a brother named Lazarus. This is Bethany, which is just sort of toward the Mount of Olives, uh, just east of Jerusalem. And Mary sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. And Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. Those are going to be our words of the day because they're fun. There is only one thing there is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part that will not be taken from her. That's not literally what the text says. Uh, it doesn't say, I, you know, I'm wondering if I'm wrong about this because it really doesn't seem that, that um, I don't know where they get the word, the idea that it's the better part. Uh, it's It's not the better part. It's in the text, which I'm struggling to find here. Uh, it's the good part. That's literally what it means. No, don't, I, I'm not going, I'm not going there. And though though I, I got a, lo- a lovely letter from someone who corresponds with me that she likes the new, <laughs> she likes the new, uh, the new weight music. Okay, moving along. Um, I aim to please. <laughs> that's the voice in my head, aiming to please. All right, let me see here. What did I do? Where did I put it? What, I, what am I, you know? Who's on first? Um, the the it, it literally says she's chosen the good part, not the better part, but the good part, and it won't be taken from her. Um, I think that's interesting. Uh, isn't it better to be helpful? I mean, really, that that, that certainly is uh, the better part. She has chosen the good measure. That's literally what it says: the good measure, the good portion. And it will not be taken from her. I think that's fascinating. We assume that it is always better to to help out. And, you know, sometimes it's not. I mentioned this yesterday. I think I mentioned it yesterday. Uh, If not, I'll mention it today. That the scripture says he has created good works for us that we might walk in them. This idea of walking in the good works that the Lord has made, um, that that's kind of hard for us because we just uh, indiscriminately, uh, as you can tell, I'm clicking away. Um, okay, there, I got it. Yes, uh, Ephesians, um, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us. Uh, And that literally is, he said, looking at the Greek, he has established uh, good works uh, uh, beforehand uh, that we should walk in them. I've shared with you this idea of walking, that, that Jews talk about halakhic law, 
Halak means to walk. The, the, the Torah prescribes how you should walk in the world, how you should conduct yourself. He has prepared good works for us that we might walk in them. We're not called to do indiscriminate good works. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing when a person exhausts themselves. And uh, I've known people who have lost their marriages because they are so involved in the church. And their wife, their kids, or their husband and their kids find themselves orphaned. I remember back in the glory days of the Spanish charismatic movement, uh, you went to prayer meetings nine and ten days a week. Um, the, there, there was a deacon who would say nothing is more important than, than the renewal. And he meant your marriage wasn't as important. And that's just wrong, that your sacramental commitment comes before any other commitment. So if you're asked to be on this committee and that committee and the other committee, and you're neglecting your marriage, your sacramental commitment comes before the, the requests that are made of you uh, in the church or in the world. And But this is good. This is a good thing. I want to be involved in this good thing. Did the Lord tell you you should be involved in it? Oh, the Lord must want me to be involved in this. Maybe not. You know, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be killed. These are friends of his. And, and he just kind of, I'm sure, wanted just to spend some time with his friends. And Martha, oh, you can imagine, the rabbi is coming. There'll be a crowd. We need to, I, what are we going to serve? The house needs cleaning, everything. I remember, <laughs> oh, this is a funny story. I think it's a funny story. Cardinal Francis George was a man of remarkable simplicity. Um. He, I had a big meeting hall at the parish I was at, uh, just a huge hall. And all these groups would come and meet there and want to use our hall. And, and so Cardinal George was very frequently a guest at our house. And I'd say, you, you want something to eat before the meeting? And said, yeah, just a sandwich. So, you know, you might have a, a, a deacon, a priest, a few seminarians, uh, and we'd just have a, a sandwich. And uh, very simple. I'll never forget one seminarian. <laughs> who is, the cardinal's coming, the cardinal's coming to lunch. Yeah, he eats. Should we put a tablecloth on? No, no tablecloth. He, he's, he just wants something really simple. And when he comes, he's just, he's just, uh, he's just himself. We should put a tablecloth out. It's, we're just eating in the kitchen. We don't need a tablecloth. He likes simplicity, eat in the kitchen. I'll put a tablecloth. No tablecloth! So the whole thing was, Francis George just wanted to be treated like like, well, uh, his family called him Franny. He wanted occasions just to be Franny George, and we would get into these wonderful discussions and arguments, and he'd let his hair down, though he didn't have much of it. <laughs> and, and it was just a simplicity. And I can see Jesus. Martha's making a fuss, and Mary's doing what Jesus wants. She's sitting there talking to him, listening to him. My point is this. I've said it before. The great commandment, which we had the other day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You can also translate that, only God is God. But the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, etc., and your neighbor is yourself. You can't love someone until you listen. The great commandment is not love God and love your neighbor. It's Listen, hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, listen, Israel. 
The Lord your God is one. Before you can love someone, you have to hear them. And, oh, I'll do that for you. I'll fix that for you. I'll, I, no, you don't, 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 no, don't, 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 you don't have to. I, uh, oh, never mind. I'll fix. Mary was doing, she was, she was uh, walking in the good work that the Lord had prepared for her. Martha was not. And we're all on Martha's side because she's working hard. And, you know, if you want to help somebody, the first thing you do is listen to them. Say, how can I help you? Say, oh, I don't really need anything. Okay, well, I'm here if you need me. That's to help them. No, let me do that. Let me do that. I'll take care of that for you. Oh, must. I think I told the story about a very dear relative who used to come and visit me and rearrange the cabinets in the right way. Took me two weeks after she left to find the oregano. To help someone, the first thing you have to do is to listen to them. To help God, you have to listen. Well, I should join this committee, and I should join that committee, and I should be on that team, and I'll be in the choir, and I'll... Did God ask you to do those things? No. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is God alone. Love God, love your neighbor. But you can't love God and you can't love your neighbor until you first can listen to them and hear them. And I think that's an important perspective in this. And I'm not going to make anybody happy because we're all on Martha's side because she's the one who does the hard work. <laughs> well, maybe not. All right, let's go to a break. We'll come back with letters and we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. How many years have I been repeating that? And I can't remember it. I'd say it was old age, but I've been doing it since I was young. We'll be right back. Father Simon says... Well, what are you asking me for? Have a question? Give us a call. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Who is on first? On Relevant Radio. Oh, you don't love God. If you don't love your neighbor, if you gossip about him, if you never have mercy, if he gets into trouble and you don't try to help him, then you don't love Well, it's true. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. But on the other hand, sometimes under the guise of loving our neighbor, we make ourselves great pains in the neck. Moving right along, let us go to letters. This is from uh, Mary in uh, Green Bay, and she says, I so appreciated your comments on music detracting from the liturgy. I'm wondering, uh, would you suggest, what would you suggest one could do to have a parish consider a service on weekends without music? Um, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not for that. I, I'm, I'm, I really am for music. Just I'm for good music. That, that um, the idea that he who sings praise twice is true. But, and why is that? Because with singing, you involve the body. Uh, you know, to sing, you got to use your diaphragm and all that. And uh, uh, But what passes for music isn't singing at all. So uh, I, I'm not a, opposed to uh, uh, music at Mass. In fact, is well, I'm off. Oh, dear, I'm off on a tangent. 
You want to play the mass hysteria music or whatever? <laughs> Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Uh, I can't seem to get off it. That, but that's because, you know, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our life. And everything in the church, we argue about all these theological things. The Eucharist, is at the, the liturgy of the Eucharist is at the center of our faith. Um, you can't get around it. You can't get away from it. And the liturgy is in big trouble. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, uh, Mary uh, talks about uh, church attendance has fallen off rapidly with people stop uh, skipping Mass when they are in our area. I attend daily Mass. The lack of music uh, or song, uh, an unaccompanied song sung by the, by the congregation is refreshing. You know, I want to back, go back to chant. What we are doing in the church now, people say, well, this is the liturgy of the Second Vatican Council. It is not the liturgy of the Second Vatican Council. Read, read uh, what's the first document on the liturgy? Uh, so, uh, sumum, what is it? Summum concilium? What is it? Sacrosanctum, Sacrosanctum concilium. Read the document. Go ahead. I dare you. I plead with you. Read the from the Second Vatican Council documents, Sacrosanctum uh, concilium. Well, we're going to put a link to it in the show. Read it. And you will be astonished that what we are doing now is not the liturgy of the Second Vatican Council. It's a liturgy that was foisted on us by, by a, a committee, <laughs> uh, the liturgical renewal. And it was hijacked by, uh, by uh, well, I think it started with Americans. Uh, Sacrosanum Concilium says you can use uh, local instruments occasionally. Um, I'm going to say something that is will be incomprehensible to people. You don't sing hymns at a Catholic Mass. What? No. Traditionally, you don't sing hymns at a Catholic Mass. Do we have any uh, any old Roman chant? I, 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 we, yeah, we're going to find... We're gonna, I, I want to play some old Roman chant. You know, people are mistaken when they say, well, the Gregorian chant is the oldest form of, of, of Catholic church music. It is not. Uh, we're going to find some old Roman chant. We got it? All right, hit, not yet. We're going to find some old Roman chant, which is what was sung at the liturgy for the first few hundred years. I, I, I don't know if it would have been immediately uh, following Pentecost. I doubt that. But in Rome, it developed, uh, and it's in Latin. Uh, and it, Okay, hit it, Nick. Yeah, this is a psalm. Okay, that's the oldest form of Catholic music that we know of, old Roman chant. And there are groups that are trying to revive it beautifully. But so-called Gregorian chant was a reform of that chant because it's not easy to sing. Gregorian chant is much more singable. And in Sacrosanctum Concilium, we are told that Gregorian chant has pride of place. Oh, Father, I don't want to go back to the Latin. I'm not talking about the Latin. You can chant anything. Uh, I, I, there was a, I chanted the ketchup bottle at one point. But chant, now hear me, hear me out. Chant is superior to a hymn. Let me say it again. Chant is superior to the hymn. 
And why is that? Because in a hymn, you conform the text to the melody. You squeeze the text into the melody, and you change words so that it will fit. With chant, you tailor the melody to the text. And chant, when you are chanting the Psalms, very simple to do. Uh, uh, these are words written by the Holy Spirit instead of by some, some self-styled Christian musician. Chant is superior to the hymn because it accents the text inspired by the Holy Spirit. You can, you, uh, they have what's called the psalm tones. They are so simple. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In green pastures he refreshes me. That was tough? No, it's a reform of the original uh, music style uh, of the church. And it came in, I think, probably on the 5th and 6th century, which is why it's called Gregorian chant. I, it might have been under the reform of, of Pope Gregory the Great. I, you know, the, it's kind of misty in its history. Misty in its uh, that rhymes. I think that, well, the, uh, the Gloria of the Mass. There is a Gloria that is very beautiful that is found in the, uh, I, Nick, is that possible to find the glory that's in the Roman Missal? Just do Gloria Roman Missal YouTube. You'll probably come up and maybe we can play it for you. There's a Gloria that is in English, in a chant style that's in the book. It's what we're supposed to be able to sing if we're singing it in English. I remember uh, talking to an organist, and and uh, there was for, for years. Did you find it? Uh, play it, play it. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of good will. We praise you, we bless you. That's good. It's simple. It's very singable. Once you get the melody in your head, it's there. It can be sung with or without organ. I remember trying to, instead of some trite, vapid melody that had been sung in a church for seven or eight years, the same melody every Sunday, no one sang it from the congregation. The organist barely sang it. I showed the organist this. The, the, I showed her this this text, and she said, "I don't like it." <laughs> You're not liking it is not material to the to the to the to the reality. You know, a person comes in. If, if we learn these simple chant melodies, and the congregation sings them, somebody walking in will be amazed at the beauty of it. You might not think it's beautiful, but. When you see a congregation genuinely praising God with these chant melodies, it's beautiful, and it's simple, and it's understandable. Instead of this, as I said, the, the <laughs> here we go again, the My Little Pony Gloria, music to sell plastic junk to seven-year-old girls. There we are, that's it. The, yeah, da, da. My little pony, yeah, my yeah. Pony. that's the quality of Catholic music in our country today. No wonder the church is empty. No wonder the church is empty. Uh, it's just boring and vapid. And, you know, we, we Catholics, 
we belong to the future, we belong to the past, we belong to the present. And when we forget that, we cease to be the church universal. We simply become the church of what's happening now. As is saying, he who marries the spirit of an age soon finds himself a widower. You know, that, that, that we wed this kind of music 50, 60 years ago, and now most of our churches are empty of especially young people because they find it boring. We offer them what they, we offer them what they can find in the world. And, and think somehow we're, we're drawing them in. If we offer them something better and more beautiful, something that reaches out to the ages, the ages yet to come and the ages that are past, if we reach out to them with that, they will be amazed because they will understand that the faith is forever. It isn't just some contemporary band-aid to make me feel better. I don't like that. I don't like it. Now, who cares what you like? Read Sacrosanctum Concilium. Understand the liturgy of Vatican II. Someday maybe we'll have the liturgy of the Second Vatican Council. We don't now. We don't now, except in a very few places. So, well, that's, that's, that's what I think, uh, Mary. What time have we got? Oh, I think I can go to another letter. <laughs> Who knows what? Oh, I just, it's just so important. It's just so important. The liturgy is who we are. You know, and... and uh, Okay, the lines are open, by the way. Eight, oh, good grief, we've got a number of phone calls. I think, uh, well, maybe it looks like we've got a bunch of phone calls. So why don't we just take a break, and we'll come back. Uh, you can still call in at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. I will come back with a fun word of the day. I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. On the road again I can't wait to get on the road again I'm on the road entirely too much. All right, I can't wait to get home again. All right, that said, let us go to the word of the day. Oh, words, yeah, I got two of them, actually. Let's see, the words of the day. One is not impressive, but, um, you know, Jesus says that we're, okay, once again, I've lost my mouse. Oh, it's over on that screen. I'll just bounce. Ah, there it Good is. Good That makes me crazy when the mouse decides to go to another screen. Okay, we read in the text, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. Okay. Let it, I, I just was curious about what anxious and worried were in Greek, and I found them. And here we go. Worried, is, that means worried. Merimnas. Uh, merimnas, I guess the accent's on the last syllable. Merimnas. And it means, uh, uh, it means, it's a fascinating word because it really means divided in parts. In other words, go to pieces. <laughs> you know, that, that when you're being pulled in different directions, that's, that's the idea, to be anxious. Uh, uh, and I, th- I think that's a, a, a good kind of meditation on anxiousness. That, that we're being pulled in different directions. We don't know which way to go. We're worried. We're anxious. 
Uh, it could go this way. It could go that way. That's kind of, I think that's a good insight. Uh, however, the other word for uh, disturbed, it fits in really well, uh, uh, troubled. The word is thoribadzo, <laughs> thoribadzi. I think that's a fun word. But it, its meaning is is stronger than, than, well, what do they say in the text? They translate it as uh, worried. Uh, that it's, it's really, really much, much stronger than that. It, it means, it means uh, terrified, stricken with panic. Uh, you know, it's that feeling that, that you don't have everything ready for your guests and the doorbell rings five minutes early and, oh, there you go. <laughs> I'll never forget. Oh, dear ones. I was newly ordained, not newly ordained, but a newly a pastor, a dear friend of mine, a, a real, one of the most wonderful men I've ever had the privilege to work with, John Blasney, who was made bishop. Eventually, he was the Archbishop of Portland, Archbishop John Blasney, a, a wonderful man. But he had been newly ordained a bishop, and I was newly made a pastor, and uh, <clears throat> he was coming to do confirmation at my parish, and there was a a toilet that was malfunctioned. I decided to fix it. The house was, as, it was a poor parish, but we had dialed things up as much as we could. The table was sit, set magnificently in the dining room for a meal before the, the ceremony, and and I went upstairs to fix the toilet. Well, needless to say, I flooded the house. <laughs> and and Archbishop, I flooded the house. <laughs> Water was coming through the ceiling and falling onto the dining room table. The glasses uh, the uh, were full of water that, that had been filtered through the ceiling. <sighs> Archbishop Lasney rang the doorbell, and I answered the door with a hammer in one hand and a screwdriver in the other, and he said, Oh, <laughs> I see that you're not quite ready. Well, that was never mind. This is Thorobadzo. It means I am greatly disturbed, <laughs> panic-stricken. So poor Martha was not simply worried and anxious and worried. She was a chicken with her head cut off, which I think is... is uh, a kind of a fun, fun way to, to look at the passage. All right, let's go to phones. Hello, Ghostbusters. Not these days. I'm not in that. Okay, moving along. John from Philadelphia, what can I do for you? Good afternoon, Father. My question is um, concerning um, virgin birth and the word overshadowed. Okay. In the Hail Mary, Elizabeth explains that Mary, uh, blessed is the fruit of her womb. Yes. If Jesus, if Jesus Christ was in her womb, how can we still consider her a virgin? All right. Let's say a young girl has a medical procedure which involves gynecological processes. Are we going to say she's no longer a virgin? A virgin is someone who has not had sexual intimate, intimate sexual relations with a man. And our Blessed Mother did not have intimate relations with a man. And for us to say that this is a matter simple, of simple physicality is, is a kind of strange fundamentalism. She was, she, the point of it is that Jesus was the product not of a normal coming together of a man and woman, but a miraculous overshadowing by the Holy Spirit. So that's how we can say she was a virgin, because she was. If we take it in a crude literal sense, well, we miss the point. So I hope that helps a little, John. Well, you know, but she was, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit was a different, a different venue. But uh, 
the, the physicality of no, the, the physicality of virginity is not a matter of simple physicality. Virginity has has to do with have you had intimate relations with the opposite sex? No, I haven't. At ergo, I'm a virgin. I mean, uh, that that's um, it's it's to be literal about it is or to to simply say it's a matter of of what goes on physically. Jesus was the product of a miracle, not of a coming together of a man and woman. And I think that that's the point of it. And our Blessed Mother never ceased to be a virgin. That, that, that uh, uh, it's, I just don't understand why, why that's difficult to get. So at any rate, well, thanks for calling in, John. Let's go to Paloma in Merrill, Wisconsin. Good afternoon, Father Simon. We love your show. Well, thank my you. Question, my question is, are unicorns bad? I've never met one. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think unicorns are, uh, are I, I, they, they don't exist, uh, really. Uh, you know, they're, they're from medieval mythology, and they had to do, uh, they were symbols of, 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 of chastity, of, of being a, 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 a person who was uh, uh, who who was obeying the commandments. So in, in medieval mythology, where, where they come from, no, they most certainly were not bad. Does that help, Paloma? Yes, Father Simon. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, let's go to Rob from Boston. Father Simon, thank you for your show. I enjoy listening. Every every day of the week. Well, thank you. I'm honored. Quick question: <clears throat> I've lost a lot my a lot of vision. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm losing my sight, and I've been trying to get a, a talking Bible, looking for a talking Bible. There's a couple websites, but they're kind of whacked out religions, if you will, and I don't want to be involved yeah. with any of that sure. stuff. Any I can get it from the talking book. Um, association, but you can only have it for like three weeks, oh. and you got to return it. So you oh. can't. It's not something you can keep. Well, you know, Any if thoughts? do you, you do you have a, an iPhone or an I iPad? Do. You know, you can get the do, daily yeah. readings uh, at the USCCB, uh, the United States Con- uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Uh, you can get the daily readings read to you, audio. That's one one thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, sure. Go to their site, and uh, you can get get those read every day. And um, could you say that site one more time, please? So uh, it's it the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Okay. And they That's have fantastic. they have the daily readings as podcasts, so you can oh, follow along with the liturgy. That that that's one thing. And um, you know, I oh gosh, I I I actually I. I have I, I I'm not near it now, but I, I actually have uh, discs. Uh, they're almost uh, archaic, but uh, I have a disc collection of a Catholic disc collection. I think it's New American. Uh, you can get uh, uh, CDs uh, uh, with the New American Bible. Um, no, okay. All so, right, I'll Google that. Yeah, New American. Okay. That, that's New American, right? Yeah. Yeah, new American. You can okay. you can get that. I know I have I have that uh, on 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 uh, discs. Uh, 
so if you have okay. a disc, I'll if you Google have a disc, I feel I feel so ancient. I still have a disc player, and nobody has them anymore. But <laughs> as, as do I, Father. As yeah. Do I. Well, <laughs> they're useful. So th- those would be my suggestions. Yeah. All right. Thank you very God much. God bless, and I'm honored that you day. listen, Rob. Thank you. Let's go Thank to you. God bless. Let's go to Denise from Boston. What can I do for you, Denise? Hi, Father. How are you? I'm pretty good. Father, we just love you. I've learned so much from you, and oh, I went honored. to Catholic school. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, remember, yeah. take what I say with a grain of salt. No, I believe you. <laughs> well, but I'm just wondering, Father, it's yes. kind of a heavy question. Sure. Um, what's going on in Israel? Now, the sands of Armageddon are in Israel, right? Yes, Armageddon is in Israel. Okay. There's a, the place Har Megiddo, okay. which means Mount Megiddo. Har means mountain, and Megiddo means uh, Megiddo. It's a place, and there's a big plain, and that's where, right. where according to many battle. traditions, the ultimate battle will take place. Yes. I was wondering, Father, there's trouble in Yemen with the Houthis. They're fighting over there. They're at war. Mm-hmm. Uganda's having problems. Yes. We've got the Ukraine at war with Russia. Yes. And I know there was supposed to be a series of wars in that. Do you think that this is the start of World War Three, Father? You know, I just really can't say. Um, my feeling is that, no, it's not. Um, but that's just a feeling. I, I have nothing to base that on. Um, I think that oh, it's so hard to say. I, I you know, I, I read in the scriptures that Jesus says uh, there will be wars and rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. When people are saying peace, peace, that's that's when 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 you least expect it. And we certainly aren't saying peace, peace at the moment. It's just, it's, it's just tragic uh, what's happening uh, all over the world, not just in the Holy Land. But it's, it's Cain and Abel all over. You know, we have been at war with, with one another since the days of Cain and Abel. And, and um, you know, this always is, I look at the news and I think war in the Middle East, that could have been the headlines in the year 52 A.D. I mean, it's always been this way. And uh, uh, Jesus said, uh, um, he just said that uh, if only they had recognized the time of their visitation, uh, that it would have been different. But, you know, it's, I, I wish I could comment on it. And it's just, we pray for peace. And, um, you know, I've been to the Holy Land. I, one of the things thinking about it in this, in this current situation, the Holy Land, I've been to the Holy Land maybe five or six times. It's just been such a privilege. First time I went, first time I went, I got stuck in a war. I think I shared about that yesterday. I got stuck in the Yom Kippur War. And I'm looking at these parents on television who are terrified of these people who are so frightened because their relatives are there. And I realized I put my parents through that. I felt so bad. I'm going to have to uh, offer another mass for them. But I put my parents through that. I was I was in the Holy Land and on Yom Kippur of 1973, and, and um, this war is definitely much, much worse than that one was in terms of uh, a sense of safety in the Holy Land. But um, So we pray for peace, and, and uh, we know that this is not God's perfect plan. But I don't, I don't know that, that, that you know, uh, the Third World War or a nuclear war is in nobody's best interest, and I think most of the leaders of the world are conscious of that. And uh, uh, so, I, you know, I, I just, 
there's no way to predict. And, we, you know, we're in God's hands. And, and um, these are definitely times that we can say to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. I wish I had more, more to, to share with you on that, Denise. But, you know, that uh, I, I can tell a story um, uh, that um, there was some, someone crossing in the Second World War, someone, uh, because of his ministry, had to cross the Atlantic Ocean. People said, you can't do that. It's so dangerous. And he said, I'm as safe there as I am here. I'm, I'm in God's hands wherever I am. And I think we have to have that attitude. So we pray for peace and we trust God. God bless you, Denise, and um, we're all we're all praying together. All right, let's let's go to Roman from Chicago. Roman, are you with us? Yes, Father. Great show. Uh, my question is: God made us. God is love. God loves us. He mm-hmm. yes. does. Does God love also the demons, since there were angels once? Well, let us let us. Explain love. <laughs> what is love? Love, when I talk about love, it means I have good feelings about someone and enjoy being with them. That's not the definition of love. I've, I share this constantly, but I think the best definition of love is given us uh, uh, by Jesus when he says, greater love hath no man that he laid down his life for his friends. Um, but St. Thomas Aqu- Aquinas defines love as to will the good of another. And if willing the good of another is love, then God most certainly loves the devil. What? Well, if God willed his good, wouldn't he bring him to heaven? No, because part of it is respecting the choices that we make. I can do my best to influence you, to to have you make the right choice, but if you make a, a bad choice, part of love is, is, in a sense, to allow you to go the wrong direction. Uh, in the story of the prodigal son, it's amazing to me that the father let that son go. Uh, but this, he could not hold him against his will. And so God could not hold the devil and his angels against their will. He, not, he could not, he would not hold the devil and his angels according to their will. So if, if this is what you've chosen, this is what you've chosen. So in that sense, the devil has chosen something as his good that is not good. You know, it's interesting. I, I think it's also St. Thomas who makes the point, we never choose the bad. We choose what we think is good for us without uh, reference to what the Lord has said. The sin is our arrogance that we choose what God has said. This is not good. This won't be for your good. Uh, that's that's the failure, the sin of it. Um, but when I, if I decide... I'm going to rob a bank because, boy, I need the money and I can do good things with the money and I won't get caught and I'll rob the bank. You're going to get caught. This is not for your good. I'm going to do it anyway. There's no way I can stop you. That, In that sense, yes, God God does not hate the devil. Not at all. Does that answer your question? Yes, Father. Thank you. All right. Thank God you. bless. Thanks for going, Roman. And now that's that's my interpretation of it, so... I may be right, I may be wrong. <laughs> oh, that's a salt shaker. Let's go to Paul from Youngstown, Ohio. Hello, Father. Um, I had read one time that the early liturgies, even in Rome, were mostly in Greek. Yeah, they were. Is that correct? That's true. There were as many people in Rome at the time, uh, just slightly after the time of Christ, 
uh, who spoke Greek as spoke Latin. Greek was the common language of the Roman Empire. The further west you went, the more Latin was spoken. Roman aristocrats would speak Latin. Roman citizens, well, not all Roman citizens even, but uh, uh, Romans of, of uh, Roman, they would call them a Roman of the Romans. Uh, they would speak Latin at home, but and you'd hear Latin in the streets, but it was kind of like the way Spanish and English is spoken in Chicago. You go to certain parts of Chicago and you're not going to hear English. You're going to hear Spanish. So that's that's kind of how it works. Um, um, so, yes, the early liturgy was, was in Greek and, and Latin was uh, introduced slightly after. Does that help? Yes, thank you. God bless, Paul. Let's go to Phil from Madison, Wisconsin. Well, see, um, first I was calling to uh, thank you for your uh, soapbox on singing at Mass. <laughs> um, I really appreciated the way you two educated us on that. I also have an extra question that sure. came up, and this is about, you had a call about um, Marian uh, teachings. Um, what early church documents can we use to back up, you know, what the church teach or our tradition is and as an example there was a priest who had a youtube video about a uh, church over in rome that has these stories of mary going to the temple and etc um meeting joseph well so after after she grew up of course but uh well that's that's uh, that probably comes from the 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 what's called the proto evangelion of saint james or the first gospel of saint james uh, but, you know, if you're interested in this stuff, I would recommend Mike Aquilina. <laughs> he, he, is, he really makes the early church documents available to people. So Mike Aquilina, introduction, I think he writes a book, Introduction to the Fathers of the Church. Anything you want to read about the early church, a good, a good way to get into the shallow end of that pool, because it's a deep pool, uh, is Mike Aquilina. He's, he's marvelous. Uh, uh, Clear writer, writes simply, um, very understandable. So I would recommend stuff by Mike Aquilina. It's just a a q u i l a n i. That's what I would do. Just go to go to Mike Aquilina and and start there, and he will you will find books that he talks about, and you can look them up on the web. They're all available on the web. So I hope that helps. Let's go to Frank uh, uh, from California real quickly. Frank, what can I do for you? Thank you, Father. Thank you for taking my call. There are legal unicorns in California just outside of uh, Bakersfield. They're one-horned goats, and they're registered with the United States as legal unicorns. My goodness. So, yeah. My goodness. And as of yet, nobody knows his address. Oh, dear. The unicorn. There are unicorns. There must be leprechauns, too. Hide, everyone. I'm kidding. Don't hide. Stay tuned in to Drew. Thanks, Frank. That's really cool. There are unicorns. Moving along, Drew's coming up, and I think we all need prayer, even the unicorns. 